Coming up on this week's show, author Jeffrey Knight is here, and he's going to talk to us about his latest books involving adventurers and billionaires. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knaus. Welcome, everyone, to episode 149 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamsrights.com. And I'm Will from willkanaus.com. This episode of the show is brought to you in part by our remarkable group of supporters on Patreon. We want to send a great big thank you to Sandy, who recently joined us. We'll have more information on how you can help join Sandy and the rest of our super cool Patreon crew in just a few moments. Well, we hope everyone listening is having a fantastic summer. Uh, I think we're kind of, uh, would you call it the dog days? I think it's things are start of winding down for most people. I know. It was just, it was just like three <laughs> weeks to go till Labor Day. We are coming to the end of the summer. Super crazy. It's kind of insane. Yeah. Speaking of the end of the summer, we want to quickly mention that last month, July, was our most downloaded month. Ever. Yes, and a lot of that was because of episode 147 that featured T.J. Clune and Kurt Graves, uh, which became our single most downloaded and watched episode ever. Uh, former record holder on that, T.J. Clune from episode 55 when he was here talking about murmuration. So we want to give a big welcome to all of you who uh, might have found the show because of the T.J. and Kurt episode. We hope you enjoy everything going forward. And to those of you who picked up the backlist, we hope you enjoy listening to all that material as well, if you choose to do so. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another quick note is we are now available on Spotify. Ooh, yes, we have joined their podcast lineup. So if you're listening to Spotify for your music, you can check us out over there as well. And we want to give a quick reminder uh, that the Suzanne Brockman, Jason T. Gaffney Kickstarter for their new rom-com, Out of Body, uh, actually wraps up in about another week on Tuesday, August 21st. You can help them make their gold for that movie with as little pledge as just $5 will get you in on the action there. We'll have the link to their specific Kickstarter.com page in this week's show notes. In the hockey player's heart, The Feel-Good Gay Romance by Jeff Adams and Will Knaus. Hockey star Caleb Carter returns to his hometown to recover from an injury. He never expects to run into his one-time crush at a grade school fundraiser. Seeing Aaron Price hits him hard, like being checked into the boards. The attraction is still there, even after all these years, and Caleb decides to make a play for the schoolteacher. You miss 100% of the shots you never take, right? Aaron has been burned by love before and can't imagine what a celebrity like Caleb could possibly see in a guy like him. Their differences are just too great. But as Aaron spends more time with Caleb, he begins to wonder if he might have what it takes to win the hockey player's heart. Get the hockey player's heart in ebook, paperback, or as an audiobook performed by me, Vince Sterling, wherever you buy books. So before we get to a couple of books for this week, let's talk about some summertime TV that we've been watching. Uh, we have fallen hard for the NBC crafting show Making It, which stars Nick Offerman and Amy Polner and actually features Simon Doonan as a judge. I, I love this show so hard. Um, I don't understand why it's on NBC instead of HGTV, but they've got, I think it's eight or ten crafters who make really cool things every week. They made forts this week, people. Forts for kids, and it was awesome. Uh, what do you think of this show? I know we just love it to pieces. 
Um, well, okay. First of all, it's not on HBJ. It's not on HGTV. It's on NBC. It's, it's not on HGTV because it's not a fucking flipping show. I suppose that's true. Um, <laughs> and uh, NBC loves themselves some Amy Poehler. Uh, she's amazing. And uh, her and Nick are so incredibly funny together, of course. Um, this is just a super sweet... Uh, remarkably funny, feel-good show. Um, it's just, perfect for summer. I just, I love it so much. Makes yeah. me very, very happy. So, if you haven't checked out Making It on NBC, please uh, uh, give it a try. I think okay. you'll enjoy it. Tuesdays at ten, and you can catch the uh, episodes. There's been two so far. Uh, you can catch those on NBC.com and on demand. Uh, two documentaries that we've seen uh, recently on Logo are also worth your attention. Uh, it's nice to see that Logo is still doing these documentaries uh, amongst all of the just generic reruns that they've got. Uh, the first one we want to call out is one that just aired this past week called When the Beat Drops. Uh, it is a documentary about Atlanta's bucking scene, uh, which is essentially dance line that has happened for many years uh, from the historically black colleges and universities of the South. And these are the young men who have taken that up and have this whole scene around bucking. Uh, it's directed by Jamal Sims, who is the choreographer of some of the Step Up films, the Footloose remake. Uh, he's choreographed Madonna and Mount Cyrus tours, and this is actually his directorial debut. And uh, it also won the documentary feature Grand Jury Prize at this year's Outfest. Uh, I found this to be just a fascinating look at this particular piece of gay black uh, culture, as, as it were, in the South. Um, it reminded me a lot of Pose, which we also love this summer. Um, the story of Fi-Fi, which has been around for some 20 years, doing these, the, these bucking routines in the underground clubs in Atlanta, uh, I found quite inspirational because these men are occasionally putting their professional lives at risk if they're seen. And that's even true even now in 2018. Um, and some amazing choreography in action there as well. Um, your thoughts, sir? I liked it a lot. And like any good dance movie, it ends with the big competition where our underdog heroes have to perform... Well, they'll lose it all. Uh, I loved it an awful lot. I highly recommend everyone check out When the Beat Drops. Another documentary from Logo that we uh, also recommend is called Light in the Water. And this is the essentially about the history of West Hollywood Aquatics, uh, which formed back in the 1980s. It's a, a group of swimmers who got together and formed a, a, a swimming club specifically to compete in the very first gay games. Uh, and after the games were over, um, they continued, and uh, the, the community and the aquatics club uh, is still running today. Yes, I, I enjoyed this a lot. There was some, I like the origin of the, of the gay games that kind of wrapped into this documentary, as well as looking at how the club supported each other in the, in the, in the height of the AIDS crisis in the 80s. And it's great to see them still going strong. I know they competed actually at the gay games that just wrapped up in Paris. So congratulations to them. Uh, you've read some book, a book this week that you wanted to talk about. You actually went down the path of cozy mysteries. Uh, before I get to that, I really quickly want to mention that this week I actually started three 
different books. I did not finish them. Uh, And admittedly, I was a little bit frustrated at first because it's like, oh, why am I wasting my time with these books? My time is so precious. (laughs) Um, And I think probably all of you listening feel the same way. Um, But I tried to look at it as a glass you know, half full kind of situation. It's like, well, now I know that those particular books just aren't for me. Mm-hmm. And that that I'll use that information moving forward. Um, but I did try something new, as Jeff mentioned. I uh, picked up The Cozy Mystery by Mildred Abbott, Cruel Candy. Um, this is the first book in her Cozy Cor- Corgi Mystery series. Um, it's about Winifred, uh, who everyone calls Fred. Uh, she moves back to her small Colorado hometown, and she's going to open a bookstore that she's going to call the Cozy Corgi, uh, named after her adorable uh, <laughs> Corgi Watson. Uh, so the, essentially, the moment Fred and Watson hit town, uh, a murder occurs, and um, we're introduced to the various wacky Dinsians and family members <laughs> Uh, that inhabit said town, uh, and the mystery is off and running. I really, really enjoyed this book. Uh, I think it's uh, an excellent first uh, entry into this series because it um, not only does it like tick off all the boxes for a cozy mystery, it, it introduces a really uh, unique uh, and funny cast of characters that will obviously, you know, reoccur in the. Uh, coming books. So I highly recommend everyone check out Cruel Candy. If cozy mysteries are your thing, um, I highly recommend checking it out. Well, maybe check it out anyway, because we didn't know cozy mysteries were your thing until you read that. (laughs) Yeah, I was kind of into it. Um, Really quickly, we are actually going to have Mildred Abbott on the show uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, And uh, Mildred is um, not the normal guest we would probably have on the show. Uh, so, uh, in the next uh, few weeks, we'll explain a little bit more about why she is appearing. Yes, absolutely. Look, looking forward to that. So, you were busy as well this past week. Yes, indeed. I explored a, a new-to-me author, Anita Sunday. I uh, looked at her second book in the Signs of Love series, which is Scorpio Hates Virgo. Now, in this book, Percy Freeman returns to his aunt's home to prepare it for sale uh, following her death. Uh, he's given some space since that happened and has finally you know, gotten up the, the, the will to go home and, and take care of this. Uh, at the same time, across the street, well, across the cul-de-sac, actually, uh, Callahan Glover has also returned home, uh, putting his graduate work aside to help his family since their father has uh, bailed out. Uh, these two have been nemesis, nemesis, nemesises, nemesi, nemesi, um, <laughs> for years. Um, although it turns out that that might have all been a little bit of fake posturing on both of their parts, because they've also kind of had a thing for each other, uh, which uh, Callahan kind of knew that Percy had a thing, but uh, Percy wasn't really aware that Callahan had a thing. Um, one of the things I love most about this book is this cul-de-sac neighborhood uh, that Anita has put in place. All of these neighbors have taken care of each other for years. Uh, they're they're friendly. They have block parties. They have a big Fourth of July party that plays out in the book. Uh, and the, this this all these neighbors really want Percy to move back 
and stay in the house because he grew up with this aunt. Um, and they kind of concoct this game of Sherlock gnomes uh, to get him to kind of remember what this community was like. Um, Sherlock gnomes is, they all get gnome names and they all have to do things for each other, like sneaking into their house to do like little fix it up projects and stuff. And over the course of the, of the game, you're supposed to put piece together who all the gnome names belong to in the cul-de-sac so that's kind of fun too to watch percy kind of try to piece all that stuff together um these two over the course because hey it's a romance uh they drop the whole fake nemesis thing and really start to dig in with each other how they feel about each other not just as friends but as possible you know actual romantic partners who can build a life together and it's something they both desperately need for different reasons. And uh, Anita does a great job of, she she calls herself the queen of slow burn, quote unquote. And this really plays itself out so well across this book. It just gave me all the warm, fuzzy feelings as they kind of connected with each other. Um, so I highly recommend Scorpio Hates Virgo uh, by Anita Sunday. I suspect I'll read more of Signs of Love over time. And Anita will actually be on the show in November. Uh, when the fourth book in this series comes out. So looking forward to talking to her about that. Cool. Now, if you want to get any of the books that we just talked about, the links for them will be in this week's show notes. Uh, we do use affiliate links, so though, uh, whenever you see those links uh, and use them, you'll be helping to support the podcast. Yes, absolutely. We appreciate all those clicks. Now, you can also help support the podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon. For as little as 25 cents an episode, your pledge helps pay for the cost of producing and distributing this show. And for fans who pledge at the silver and gold levels, you'll have the exclusive opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests. Also, all patrons have the option to have a personalized thank you sent directly to them. I don't think we've actually mentioned in the past that the personalized thank you uh, includes a cute little card and we send you a fridge magnet and, and stickers and a BGFP sticker. Um, it's pretty cool. So if you're interested in helping support the show and maybe getting a little bit of swag in the process, <laughs> all you have to do uh, is go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. Please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of gay romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. So recently we had the opportunity to talk to one of our favorite authors and frankly one of our most favorite people, uh, Jeffrey Knight. Uh, I've been in love with his Fathoms 5 books pretty much forever, it feels like. And uh, it's great to finally have him on the show to talk not only about Fathoms 5, which has had a new book out this year, but also his uh, billionaire romance rom-coms and, and some other good stuff. So let's get to that interview. We're very excited today to welcome Jeffrey Knight to the podcast. Jeff is the author of more than 25 gay fiction novels, novellas, and short stories ranging in genre from adventure, romance, suspense, and comedy. He is also the recipient of two Rainbow Awards, including Best Mystery Winner and Best Overall Gay Fiction Runner-Up. Welcome, Jeff. Hi, guys. <laughs> How are you? Very good. We're so happy to have you here. Thank um, you for having me here. This is very exciting. 
And I have to dive in right to my very favorite thing. Uh, we got to talk Fathoms 5. Excellent. Now, we've talked it up on the podcast a few times because it is one of my favorite things. But for those who don't know what that is, tell us about what the series is. Okay, well, I've got my little props here in front of me. So, uh, there's the first book. Um, so, Fathoms 5 is, um, it's about, it's, it's adventure. It's an adventure series, and it's about a uh, professor who is Professor Fathom. He is the titular character. And he has gathered these, he's old, and he's rich, and he's wise, and he's blind. He Think of him, I think, uh, like a... Professor Xavier from X-Men. Um, in fact, I always think of Patrick Stewart when I write his character. Um, and basically, um, he has gathered these five very hot, sexy um, adventure seekers who are all gay and they all have different strengths um, and they have different um, um, backgrounds, different nationalities, kind of. Um, and they're all, they're all very hot in their own way. And they go off around the globe looking for ancient buried treasures um, or um, unraveling mysteries, dodging booby traps. It's very Indiana Jones. It's a little bit of James Bond. It's a little bit of national treasure. It's all those good things rolled into one, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) It is, very much so. And I like the national treasure. I hadn't thought about national treasure before, but you're very right that there's that element in there alongside Indy and James Bond. Yes, just don't put Nick Cage in your head because he's not very sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with Patrick Stewart any day. <laughs> yeah, totally, absolutely. What inspired you to create Fathom and his team and just go that pure action adventure route? Oh, you know, um, when I was a, a kid, I, I I went and saw Raiders of the Lost Ark when I was eleven. And it lit- it literally changed my life. It was I came out of that movie and I knew I wanted to be a storyteller. I had seen something that was so profoundly clever and thrilling and fun, and I thought, wow, I just I want to create that. That that is so what I want to do. And um, when I started writing novels, I was very young. I, I started writing thrillers, and they were kind of straight thrillers. And then I studied um, film production at university and um, I started writing screenplays after that. And screenplays, I, I, I wrote in different genres, but I wrote a lot of action screenplays. But again, screenplays, are, it's a whole different beast. It's a different ball, ga- ball game. You, you're not your own boss. You've got to rely on so many other people in the film industry. And I realized it wasn't what I wanted to do. So I went back to writing novels. And then I realized, well, I really want to write adventure novels, but I'm so, I want to see a gay James Bond. You know, I want to see a gay Indiana Jones. It's, it, I feel left out that I never quite can connect with the romance or the love interest. I get it. You know, we, we grow up as gay men. You grow up living in a straight world. So you get it, but you never quite get that hero that you really truly want i thought you know what i'm just going to write it myself it's that old thing you know if it's not out there do it yourself and yes there were a couple of gay adventure books out there when i started but i just wanted that real hard heavy non-stop roller coaster ride and i I hadn't found that so i wrote uh the cross of sins which is the first one and i kind of thought you know what If, if i'm only writing this for myself then so be it um, if there is nobody out there who will want to read this, then that's fine. But it turned out there were other people, which was great. And it's, um, 
you know, I as soon as the first book kind of did okay, I started plotting out the whole universe for Fathoms Five, and it is it is a massive, intricate universe full of subplots, um, and you know, I do it because I get a kick out of it. Really, I just love it, and we're up to number five now. Yeah, I think I think that's part of why they read so well because you could tell you have a great time writing them. I do. I love it. I I do feel like I, I they they they're hard to write. Out of everything I write, they're actually really difficult. Um, just because that you have to write very meticulously. You have to, you know, I kind of go back to my screenwriting days. My screenwriting days were really formative for me. Um, and and you have to be a director you have to um balance is so important in writing action to to deliver that you know that tension and that flow and that speed um and uh, you know i finish a fathoms five book and i'm i'm exhausted i'm so i've I've had to think so hard and and it's it's such a shame because it's one of those things it's 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 like writing a good sex scene it's really hard to do but you know there's so many people out there in the world go oh sex god you mustn't be able to write if that's all you do, when in fact, ah, uh, actually, it's really hard to do that. And action's a little bit like that. You get, you know, there's so many people who say, oh, that's so cheesy, that's so corny, that's, you know, such a cheeseball genre. And it's like, well, actually, it's actually really hard to write well. Um, and but you've just got to kind of stay with it, and you've got to keep the detail there, and 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 just keep being in that place, and and. And at that time, and thinking, oh, how's he going to throw that punch, and what will it do? And it's like blocking a movie, yeah. But mm-hmm. it's, it's it's fun, but it is it is quite. We're going to talk about that a little bit more too in a second because there's some stuff from Temple of Time that I kind of want to delve into a little bit. But first, we should actually talk about Temple of Time a little bit. It's the yep. fifth book that came out earlier this summer. Uh, give us give us the the whereabouts on the Fathoms team in this book. Okay, so so Temple of Time was supposed to be book four, um, and what happened was I started writing. I started. Everyone knows I started writing Temple of Time a long time ago. This book has been a long time coming. So apologies to everyone. Sorry, um, but I started writing when I, I started writing it after I finished the third book, The Curse of the Dragon God, and then I stalled badly because I was actually really spent on action and also we started up wild city which you know we went into publishing with ethan day um and that was a big that took up a lot of time so um so temple of time kind of went on the back burner for a bit and then when i came back to it i actually realized i wasn't in the spot in the timeline for the universe for that story to be told yet i realized i needed something i needed a wedge in between Curse of the Dragon God and Temple of Time. So that's where the Tomb of Heaven came from. Tomb of Heaven was actually, this is sounding very complicated now, (laughs) Tomb of Heaven was actually the story for the second Scott Sapphire book, Um, Uh Scott Sapphire and the Emerald Orchid, which the second book of that, which I haven't written yet because I stole the (laughs) storyline, I used for Tomb of Heaven, and I I, I hadn't written it at all, but I knew what I wanted to do with those characters and and the villain in in that story. So, but what I needed to do, what I really wanted to do, there's a character in the second Fathom's Five book uh, in Riddle of the Sands who I introduced 
Daniel West, who becomes the love interest for Shane Houston. And Daniel is the British reporter. And I like his character so much, I wanted to bring him back. But I couldn't bring him back in Temple of Time with everything else that was going on in Temple of Time because there's a lot going on. Um, and so I needed to create a new book for to bring Daniel back so that he was already slotted in there nicely for Temple of Time. So I can't remember the question now. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about what Temple of Time is. About Temple of Time. Okay, so Temple of Time actually starts... I planted the seed for Temple of Time at the start of book two, at the start of Riddle of the Sands, where I introduce um, the bad guy, Kara Shaltez, who's been collecting the pieces of a clock um, that is in the Mayan jungle that can kickstart a time machine, basically, um, and gives people the power to travel through time. Whether it's mythical or not, nobody really knows until the end of Temple of Time. But yeah... Kind of hope you get that payoff. Um, so, so Caro is back, um, and he's kidnapped um, some some of the loved ones of a few of the Fallon's team, and sent them far flung across the globe, and put them in terrible booby trap situations with with the intention of dividing up Professor Fathom's team so that they won't be able to stop him from finding the Temple of Time. So I had to split up. The characters in that classic, which I love, you know, that formula, it's, it's the Star Wars formula. You know, send Luke and Leia off, send Han and Chewbacca off, send the droids off, and then bring everybody back together at the end. And, you know, you give everybody their own little adventure, and then you tie it all together. So that, so that's what's happening in Temple of Time. I, I've really got to watch myself in case of spoilers. If I say a spoiler, please tell me. I'll try to cut you off on spoilers because I don't. Nobody needs a spoiler in this book because it's it just it's that good. But I do want to do. You've talked about the booby traps, yep, that are set up, which you essentially send the team to different clocks around the world. Yeah, and going back to what you talked about and how you have to you know really visual you know almost cinematically think about these things. Those scenes seemed ridiculously insane to write because you have to know the layout of the clock, know what you need to get done, know how the booby trap works. Oh my God, what was the research like mm -hmm. to do these? Yep. And then you did them time and again because you had to put everybody in one. Yeah, uh, and did it work? Uh, that was kind of that was really, you know, you talk about how technical things can get. Did that did that work? Did you feel like you knew how the clock? looked and functioned it worked ridiculously well for me i'm like oh my god that's very cool is that real i don't think that could be real <laughs> but you had me sold i mean i was googling to see if some of these things were real oh do we... <laughs> so the the what it, it, it was a real concern knew that that would actually be the hardest part of the book to write was um that getting across what these clocks looked like and how they functioned and not confusing the hell you know that's the last thing you ever want to do in, a, in an adventure an action sequence is confuse people it has, everything has to be so clear um and and so that was a real concern whether i actually pulled that off or not um that there's the water clock in morocco there's the windmill clock in um the netherlands and then there's the the sky clock in uh on the matterhorn in swiss alps the the hardest one to write was the water clock 
which is actually the only real one. <laughs> um, it's actually not, there's not a real clock. That's That clock itself isn't real, but there are water clocks. Water clocks were just, just to explain what a water clock is, when humankind realized, I think I do this speech in the book, when humankind realized that sundials weren't necessarily effective because because of clouds, you have a rainy day, suddenly your clock doesn't work. Um, they, um, they invented the, lots of different cultures invented water clocks. China invented them, the North Africans, um, the early Europeans. And it's basically, it's a really simple, just a measure of time. If water pours at a consistent rate, it can pour into one vessel than another and if everything is equal it will give you an equal measure of time and so it does actually make a lot of sense as as a basic clock i then had to turn it into a death trap (laughs) (laughs) oh my god this is going to be a great fun death trap i mean you've got water you've got all these intricate old things moving and turning and it was just a matter of okay can i pull this off but hopefully i did um, as for the other two, the windmill clock does not exist. That's just, I was just fascinated by the idea of all the cogs and turning pieces of a clock and the turning pieces of a windmill, plus you've got the sails of a windmill. I thought, oh, that, that's going to be a fun visual, so I want to create that. And then the other one, the one in the Swiss Alps, the sky clock was originally supposed to be in Prague. I was going to set the scene in the, uh, there's a celestial clock in Prague, um, which is in a tower there, and it's a very famous clock. And I was going to set it there, but I thought, oh, I can't, I need it, I need it to be more fictional. You can't have a big, exciting scene in Prague when I've got all these other things happening. Um, and so I thought, no, I'm going to create a fictional town in the Swiss Alps and, and put that clock in there. And then that gave me the opportunity to use snow to great effect, hopefully, without any spoilers. Um, yeah, so that's where the clocks came from. So the only one that's a real clock is the water clock. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I, I think you took this book over the top of the other ones because there were so many set pieces like the clocks and at the temple and all that stuff. It's like uh, totally blew my mind. Yeah. I, I think I had to because I took so long to write it. I think I, I really had to deliver because I'd held off and I'd made people wait so long that it was I would be punished if I didn't try to lift my game. Yeah, more than once I poked you on Facebook going, Fathom's book, Fathom's book. <laughs> <laughs> so what's next for the Fathom's team? Because uh, you, you've hinted at, a, at a, uh, some other stuff coming in the relatively near future. Uh, yeah, okay, so... Um, so I, I did hint at a Christmas story um, a little while ago on Facebook. You know how I you know how I said I would do that. I actually meant I wouldn't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's what I thought then. Um, so what um, what I'm, I'm, I actually do like that story, and I'm actually going to push back to book seven. So book six is. Um, if, if you're familiar with the characters in Fathoms 5, something very mysterious is happening to Eden. He's very grumpy and he's losing the plot um, and he's very sick. Um, so the next book is called The Tears of the Golden Tiger and that will, it's, that, it's the resolution of that story, um, which there's a, couple, there's a little, couple of little clues in Tomb of Heaven as to where that's going um, that I plant in the, in the awesome shark scene. 
in in Tomb of Heaven. Um, so that's where the the next book is going. But I am planning a spin-off, um, which I, without giving anything away, please tell me, just shut me off if I do. Um, there's um, a new spin-off called Time Stormers, which is a time travel series. Ooh. And the first book is called The Empire of Evil. Well, hurry up and write that, please. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll try. It'll, you won't have to wait as long as you did for Temple of Time, I promise. Good. <laughs> so you, you've got a lot of different, uh, not only just the action adventure, but you've written in a lot of different um, subgenres. Uh, in gay fiction, was uh, the first Fathoms Five book the first uh, piece of gay fiction that you published? Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Cross of Sins. Yes, I, I had written. I'd written about three straight thrillers mm-hmm. up until then, um, and that's when I thought I'm going to. God, I'm gay. So I wrote Cross of Sins, and there's been no looking back. I haven't written anything straight since. Have I? No, I've written one straight book, but it has a gay tint to it. But everything else is like, you know what? I want to see. I want to write about gay heroes. I want to write gay stories, whether they're drama or thrillers or comedies, whatever. Yes, I haven't looked back. Well, speaking about drama, and uh, you've got, a, I believe it's a gay romance coming up this September, The Billionaire's Wedding. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about that? Sounds good. Let me just wrap. Let me just grab my props. So that, that is the sequel to The Billionaire's Boyfriend, mm-hmm. which is my rom-com that I wrote last year. Um, and I, 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 I love this book because it came out of nowhere. I had just finished writing Tomb of Heaven, and um, I, I always, you know, adventure is so, it's so meticulous, it's so detailed, it's so plotted out and I always you know hear this um, debate between plotters and pantsers people who just write off the seat of their pants uh, I'm gonna give that, I think I need to give that a go I've never done it before I always plot everything meticulously um, I think I'm just gonna write a book and just you know go for it um, and I thought well if I'm gonna do that it kind of has to be a comedy and a romance um, one or the other or both um, just so that it can be you know um, dialogue heavy. I, I, I thought if I'm going to, you know, just write, I can't. The, it, it can't have an intricate plot. It must be all dialogue driven and character driven. Um, and so I thought, okay, I'm going to do a rom com. I'm going to, you know, my partner Brett loves rom coms. I said to him, "What are your favourite rom coms? I'm going to do a rom com. Give me some inspiration." And he mentioned Notting Hill. Um, and I thought, oh, that's that's a good story. You know, the whole you know average guy and you know, insanely famous woman, you know, that's, you know, and will it work? Um, oh, great, I'm going to do a billionaire book like that. There's so many billionaire books on the market and they're all so serious. I'm going to do a billionaire comedy. I'm going to just make it a little bit, you know, relaxed and fun and just see where it goes and put in some crazy, um, you know, supporting characters, which I love doing. And I finished the book and I loved, I adored it. Um, it made me laugh. And if it makes me laugh, I'm, hopefully it makes other people laugh. Um, I got Brett to read it and he cried and he said, my God, that is my favorite book ever. Um, <laughs> and, and I thought, great. And it, and it did okay when I released it. 
Um, and then um, I kind of thought, well, I, th I think there's a sequel there. And so I've literally just yesterday sent off to edits uh, Billionaire's Wedding, which is the second one, um, which is more fun and adventure for um, Billionaire. His name's Calvin Croft and his boyfriend uh, is Matthew Darcy. And Matt, it's written from Matt's uh, point of view. Um, and there's lots of wackiness. There's lots of, it's a comedy. I, I really want to make it clear to people that I think there are romances out there that have humour in them, but this is a romantic comedy. So it, first and foremost, it's a comedy, and then the romance is kind of the glue that holds it all together. But yes, there is some silliness, there is some fun, there is nothing I write doesn't have a little bit of over-the-topness about it. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, I, 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 and I, I, as I said, I, I've just finished uh, being in his wedding, and I, I was so excited about finishing it. So I didn't, didn't want to say goodbye to the characters. That my next book is actually going to be a Christmas Beanie's book called The Christmas Wish, which uh, Beanie's wedding is out in September, and I'm going to aim to release Christmas Wish by the end of October. So watch this space. So that's my rom com side of me, with funny characters that some people laugh out loud and some people say, oh, that's a little bit much. <laughs> <laughs> Amongst all the genres that you've done, are there ones that you still want to try? Yeah, def definitely. And it's and before we started recording, we were talking about YA. I definitely want to try YA. Um, I, I, I haven't done it yet but it's got everything in it that I love writing about you know if you look at my short stories it's like um and the beagle makes three or you know um boy from brighton or be my valentine um bobby what's his name bobby bryson um you know they're they're, they're a, a lot of that is 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 from a kid's point of view um and or, or dealing with the child's emotion and I think there's you know when you when you when you grow up gay, especially, you know, I grew up gay in the 70s and 80s, and, you know, not knowing for most of it that I was, you you live with a secret, you know, you, you go to school and everyone else is part of this club that you're not part of, um, and, you, and you don't throw it out there, you, you hide a lot, and, you know, I watched um, Love, Simon recently, and, uh, wow, bang on, so much of that is just so right so real and so god it, i would have loved seeing that kind of movie when i was a kid at high mm -hmm. school that would be awesome i love the success that that's had um you know that says that wow there is an audience out there for this and they've taken a chance on that movie and it's paid off and that is wonderful um and and i do think there's a billion more stories out there like that uh, you know there are currently now in, in our industry um and there's so many more to tell because that's such a such a pivotal time in your life it's such a it's such a dangerous time when you know your emotions can can do terrible things to you and and you know you've you've got to be so strong you've got kids gay kids have to be so tough and they have to they go through so much and and if you can put a little bit out there, you know, like you guys do, and and just to help that little bit, and and, and to share that journey, and say it's okay, and I, I I would love to do that. I would I would love to you know write a book like that. I think it would be awesome to do. I think it would be important to do it as well. And I know YA YA doesn't uh, you know go through the roof in terms of sales or anything like that, but I, I, I 
that's not to say that those books aren't important and aren't precious and aren't truly valued. And I will definitely read the Jeffrey Knight YA book. <laughs> I can't wait to see what you do with that one day. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I can't either. <laughs> Am I fanboying too much in this interview? Oh, maybe, maybe just a little bit around the edges, <laughs> but that's okay. You mentioned that Indiana Jones had changed your life and the writing kind of started around that time. What really kicked it into gear for you that you wanted to spend a good part of your life telling stories? That's a good question. Um, I think I think for writers, um, it's not a choice. I, I don't know if there actually comes a time when it's like, wow, this is what I want to do. I actually think you just, you're that kind of, kid who just sits in his room and scribbles out stories and you know you do it from a young age and and I moved around a lot when I was a kid I was always that new kid at school I went to so many schools it's not funny um and so I didn't have a lot of friends so I would actually spend a lot of my weekends and home time I'd create you know characters and stories because they were my friends um and so it kind of started there and then um when I was 19 I wrote my first ever novel which never got published. It was huge. It was long. It was so insanely long. Um, and that's how much time I had on my head. I was going to uni, I was going to uni and uni, you know, you spend a lot of time at the bar and then you, you do other things, you know, you don't go to class. Um, and, but that's not a message to the kids out there stay in school. Um, but I wrote this novel and it was, and, and then I went away overseas for a year and a friend of mine actually entered the novel into, um, a, a novel competition which was judged by, I don't know if you guys know who Thomas Keneally is, he's an Australian author, he wrote um, Schindler's List, um, and you know, he's he's an incredible author, and he was the judge of it, and I got shortlisted, um, and I thought, wow, that's really cool, that's a national book prize, and I've been shortlisted, I didn't win, um, but I thought, wow, that's, that's, you know, and the comments I got back were, you know, keep writing, and I thought, wow, that's that's cool. Yeah, I will keep writing. And then I didn't. Then I went and, and started writing screenplays. Um, but the stories kept flowing and flowing and flowing. Um, and um, again, I've forgotten the question. Oh, was there a time? No, actually, you, you hit most of it because it's like, what, you know, what really kickstarted you in, into yeah. writing and making that the thing you were going to do for a good chunk of, of your life? Uh, and I, don't, I, I, I think if you're a writer, it's a curse. It's a gift and a curse. And it's never going to go away. It's no, I, you know, some days you're waiting and go, oh, I'm not going to write anymore. That's it. And it's like, that's never going to happen. I'll be writing until I can't. And I think all writers are like that. I, I, it's just a, it's like breathing for us, really. You know, it's something we'll always do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, who are your author influences? What, what do you, what do you read that's just like, mm, that right there? That's an inspiration. That, I um okay well, for, well you know when I was a kid when I was young it was it was Stephen King without a doubt um you know I, I don't read I don't read fantasy now but I did when I was a teenager but I, 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 and you know I I think that's again escapism but I, I read I just devoured Stephen King's books and um and I think he's phenomenal I think he's when he dies he's going to go down as one of the masters. Of all time, um, you know, he already is. He's he, he and what he does. I mean, there's so many people out there who say, "Oh, I, I don't want to read a horror novel." He doesn't write 
horrors, there's horror in his stories. He writes stories about real, real people, real characters. His characters are so well drawn, and uh, he does what Hitchcock did. You know, he, he Hitchcock always said, I, I, "I will put an ordinary person in in an extraordinary situation," and that's exactly what Stephen King does. And he does it to great effect. All of his characters. You look at Pet Cemetery. Nothing horrific happens in that. Nothing horror happens in that book until halfway through. But it's about a family dealing with a tragedy. And that's essentially, you know, uh, he, he takes those really common themes of the human condition and and then he introduces an element that's going to push the characters into the resolution. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think he's incredible. I really do. As for now, I, 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 I'm trying to get some culture and, um, and you know, I'm reading... Um, Call Me By Your Name, which is very intense, um, and Giovanni's Room, which is very intense. I, and, and I don't mind doing that kind of, um, reading those kind of books, because what they do is they they make me want to write the stuff that I like writing. Like, if ever I'm tempted to, oh, I'm going to do a really heavy book, I do something that's going to be a masterpiece, I'll read a masterpiece. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I can't compete with that. <laughs> So it gets it out of my system. So I tend to do that a lot. Um, but, you know, other authors in our industry, you know, I'm loving N.R. Walker at the moment. You know, she's her the authenticity of her Australian voice for an Australian is wonderful to read. And that's something that I don't do a lot. I don't do at all, I, apart from apart from my one and only Australian story. This is this is a plug. My one and only Australian story is the Pearl, um, but I do tend to put on an American voice when I write, um, just because because that's the biggest audience in the world. Um, but I love that NR writes Australia with a very authentic Australian voice, and she's nailed it, and she's cracked an audience, and you know I love it to death. For it and and best of luck and success she's amazing cool let's jump back in time a little bit to 2012 when you wrote oh, yeah. your only nonfiction book yeah which was called why straight women love gay romance yeah now the genre has evolved obviously in the five years since that book would you say the findings that you had in that book hold true today or have they evolved as well I think the findings, yes, do hold true today in that book because the intention of that book, I interview, for anybody who, who hasn't read that book or doesn't know about it, I interviewed 31, 32 women around the world, you know, four different continents, something like eight different countries, um, because I wanted to know why they read gay romance. And this, this was at a point where the wave of of gay romance was building, um, you know, and you could see it was going to turn into this literal, not literal, <laughs> metaphorical tsunami um, that it that it is today. It's 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 huge today, and you could see it growing very very quickly back in 2012. And I didn't, I when I first started writing gay fiction, I thought seriously in 2007. I thought gay men would be the only target here, and I was very wrong, and I was very happy to be very wrong, um, because not a lot of gay men read, um, and yet 
there's all these women who read. So awesome, you know. This this is this is giving us a huge audience. And what these women were doing was they were they were they were educating themselves on gay rights. They were their awareness of the gay world came through the fiction that they read. They were going out and joining PFLAG. You know, they were going out and 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 marching for equality and marriage equality at the time, which was, you know, so topical and has been for a decade. Um, and and so what I wanted was the to find out the personal reasons why these women read gay gay romance. Um, and and interestingly, a lot of the story is quite different, um, but they all, you know, they all came to this one point where straight romance left them wanting more um, because they couldn't get in the head of the hero, of the guy um, who, you know, the heroine fawns over a man. They never got a chance to understand this man. Um, and that really frustrated these women that they were reading about a woman like themselves being compared to her, um, you know, sometimes not favorably because the woman was sometimes gorgeous. And let's face it, we're all, everyone's an individual and we don't all look like, I'm trying to think of a gorgeous woman, Angelina Jolie, is she gorgeous? Yeah. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but so, so, so. I think findings hold true because it was a very personal journey for all of those women, and they were all amazing women. That you know, a lot of them are friends of mine. And and Suzanne Brockman wrote the, who you know is the star of the moment today. She um, wrote the foreword for it. And uh, Laura Baumbach from MLR Press, who, who's been fighting for gay romance to be recognised forever. You know, she spearheaded this whole book and she got me in touch with Suzanne Brockman. And um, and Chris Jason was amazing in the book as well. Um, but talking to Suzanne and, she, wow, she's a smart woman and she's mm-hmm. so genuine. She She's so real and she's so funny and clever and, and speaks the truth. My God, she will just... She can nail it. She's such a good writer, and she's an even better speaker. And she and and she wrote this forward for me that literally brought me to tears. I was like, oh my god, there's nothing stopping this book now. It's happening. And her journey was again different, you know, because her son was was gay, and he was going through a tough time at school. And she just wanted to tell everyone that this is not right and this is not fair. She did it much better than I did just then, um, and with a lot more power. Um, and and so I think yes, the findings do still stand because it's about a personal journey for all of these people. And the other thing is that made it so personal is that whenever a, a, a straight woman picks up a gay romance, if if they want to tell pe- other people in their world, their husbands or their parents or their siblings or their friends that they're reading gay romance, that's the equivalent of their coming out. That's because then. If they say that to people who don't understand, they say, well, why are you reading that? And then they have to basically come out and, and give their reasons and, and hopefully educate other people and build the awareness. So I I think that um, I can't – I've gone now. My trail of thought. Well, I, I think you wrapped it up. I think the point you're making is the yes, the book is still valid today as it was in <laughs> yes, 2012. Exactly. That's yeah. it. Thanks, Will. <laughs> <laughs> correct. Correct. 
So besides the couple of Fathoms books that we hinted at earlier, what else is coming up for you? Okay, well, uh, next is uh, Billionaire's Wedding and then the Billionaire's Wish. Um, and then um, we've got some Fathoms 5 coming up. And I've got a new, like I need another series. I've got a new series coming up early next year, uh, which I kind of, it's, it's something that's, I don't think it's been done um, as as focused as I want to do it in this industry. I really want to plunge people into an industry that I know very, very, very well, um, which is always a big help when you start writing because if you know something inside out, it makes it a lot easier to write about it. Um, so there's going to be a new series which will be coming out hopefully in January, um, which I, I can't give you the title of yet because I don't want to give it away. I don't want to give it away. I just want to kind of let Christmas run through and then go, bam, here it is, okay. everybody. <laughs> um, but it's going to be very sexy. It's going to have um, some thrills. Um, and it's all set in New York, and it's all set in one industry. And it's not fashion because I'm not very fashionable. <laughs> I can't wait to see what comes in January That's now. That's interesting. So what's the best way for everybody to keep up with your work? Um, I, I am really slack and I don't have a blog um, page and I don't have a website. So, uh, but Facebook. Um, friend me on Facebook if you're not already a friend. Um, and you can find me, I'm sure you can find somebody who's a friend of mine. Um, just look me up. Otherwise, and Amazon. Um, I, I, I'm trying to get things on there uh, for pre-order, so early um, these days, so that people know what's coming up. Um, and Billionaire's Wedding is on there already for yep. pre-order, so feel free to jump on and suss that one out. If you haven't, if you haven't read, if you like comedy and you haven't read Billionaire's Boyfriend, uh, it's, we live in dark times. It's nice to have a little bit of comedy in your life. <laughs> here, here. That's for sure. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about Fathoms and, and the Billionaire's Wedding and all this other good stuff. Thank you for having me. As always, it's a complete joy to talk to Jeff. Yeah, I wish we could do it more often. He needs to come back to the States. Come back to the States, Jeff, please. <laughs> And uh, we could also say that the the Christmas story for the Billionaire series has gone up on pre-order, so you'll find that link in the show notes as well. Fantastic. Okay, I think that'll do it for this week's episode. Coming up next week in episode 150, woohoo, 150! Big milestone week time. <laughs> uh, in this very important episode, we are going to feature author and filmmaker Brian Sloan, and he's going to talk to us about his latest project, West 40s. Yes. It was a joy talking to him. I didn't realize how many things between books and films and, and plays and stuff that we've seen of his over the years that has now, you know, led up to West 40s that's mm -hmm. just debuted a few weeks back. Yeah. Fantastic project. All right. Guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. So until next time, everyone, please keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.